0: just take a minute to realize and remember and enjoy the fact that we're in the presence of a God who loves us so extravagantly that that God is here with us wanting to love us wanting to lead us into what's good for us things that are good that we don't know are good yet but we're learning to trust him because his love is so extravagant You'll just stand for a while. Thank you. Well, good morning. If we haven't if we haven't met yet, I'm Dick Wiedenheft and uh, I get to be on the leadership team here at Regen as your new lead pastor. I am very excited about that. You can call me Dick or you can call me Pastor Dick. If you're not comfortable calling me Dick, I'll answer to either one. And Ann and I are so excited to be here with you. It's been a while, right, since uh, we all knew that, that I was coming and actually getting to this point. And in the meantime, we were wrapping up things and saying goodbye to the church that we knew and loved for 15 years in New York. And I know that you were saying goodbye, too, and you were grieving Kyle and Steph leaving. And so we've all been preparing for this new chapter. And uh, I'm really excited to be beginning it with you now. I have so much respect for Kyle and Steph and their leadership here and for the oversight team and for the staff and the teaching team and others of you that I've gotten to know or I've seen as I've listened in or as I've watched um, some of the, the sermons and services online. And so I can't wait to see what God has in store for us together in the months and the years ahead. And thank you so much for so many of you who have welcomed us and have helped in so many ways coming to our house to unload stuff, giving us food, giving us paper goods, um loaning us things it just really feels like we're being welcomed into family and so we're so grateful as we turn to god's word now i want to start with a question have you ever had to do a group project maybe at school maybe at work and you had to work with a team of people to do a presentation or a project and you all got the same grade Or the same evaluation, even though, as so often happens, some people in the group worked hard and diligently, right? And others didn't pull their weight. They kind of skated on everyone else's effort, right? Many of us have experienced. Yes, we've experienced that. And if you were the one of the ones doing more than your share of the work, how did you feel about those who contributed very little? Angry frustrated, begrudging? Or, or let's try another scenario. Has it ever bugged you, some of you, that some other Christians who are not that faithful to God, not as faithful as you probably, or not more faithful anyway, yet God seems to bless them more than you? Yeah? Yeah? Maybe God always seems to answer their prayers, or they experience more closeness to God than you do, or maybe they hear God's voice better than you do, or they lead more people to Christ, or God uses them to do miracles, or maybe they just have a better girlfriend or boyfriend than you, or, or an easier life, or they get better job promotions, or they have more of the stuff that you would like to have. Or maybe they get more opportunities for influence or a bigger platform than you do. But they're no more faithful. Maybe they're less faithful to God than you. Does that bug you? These kinds of things bug me. Uh, At least I'm tempted to feel upset when things like this aren't fair. Maybe it's because I'm a firstborn. I was raised to be responsible, you know, in a good German family that valued hard work and taking responsibility and pulling your own weight. And and somewhere, I don't know if it was from my family or from the good conservative wholesome town I grew up in, but I picked up what you might call little red hen theology. Do You know the children's story, some of you? The little red hen wants to bake some bread, right? So she asked the other animals in the barnyard to help her, to help her to plant the wheat and to hoe the wheat and to pick the wheat and to thresh it and to grind it and to make the bread. But everyone, every time she asks, has excuses about about why they can't help or won't help. Nobody wants to help. Not I, they say to her every time she asks them. So she winds up doing all the work herself but then when she bakes the fresh bread and it looks amazing and all the animals can smell it, they all come running, right? They all want some bread, but how does she respond? She's like, no way, I did all the work, you didn't help, I'm eating it all myself. That's what I mean by little red hen theology. You work hard and you enjoy the results and if others don't wanna work, why should they enjoy what they don't deserve? That's the attitude I had anyway growing up. And so it's to people like me that Jesus tells today's parable. We're continuing a series on the parables, which are simple stories that Jesus tells that pack a punch. They, they give us a new set of lenses, a new perspective to see the world through, to see God through, to see God's ways and God's kingdom through. Because now that Jesus has come to the world, things are changing. Life isn't business as usual anymore. Jesus has come to bring new wine that requires new wineskins to hold it as Jesus put it in the first parable that you looked at with Kristen several weeks back. Jesus is doing something new. Jesus is creating something new and inviting us into something new and this requires that we see things in a new way because a lot of things or or the fact that that Jesus has come and is doing all these new things means that a lot of things are going to have to change let's see what that looks like in today's parable we're in Matthew chapter 20 verses 1 to 16 if if you have a Bible I encourage you to open up there or pull it up on your phone If you can do that, Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into the vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. Sorry, I lost my place. (laughs) He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his supervisor, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go if I want to to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you? Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So, the last will be first and the first will be last. I uh, used to live in the town of Osning, New York and there was a great coffee shop there called First Village Coffee that I loved to go to. And near that coffee shop is a place that if you go there in the morning, you'll see a lot of men standing around. They're day laborers. They gather there every morning because that's the place that contractors come to pick up extra help for whatever job they have going on. And what always struck me when I I would see these men was how vulnerable they looked. Many of them didn't speak English. They're trying to work. They're willing to work hard, often outside, often at very physical jobs. But they don't get up in the morning having a set job or knowing if they'll get work that day. And if nobody picks them up, they don't work. They don't make any income. And and what if someone exploited them? What if someone picked them up and took them off to who knows where for some nefarious purpose or subjected them to unsafe working conditions or didn't pay them at the end of the day, etc.? And that's been the lot of day laborers for thousands of years. And it's what today's story is about. A landowner, a businessman, comes to town and recruits some day laborers. Probably it's harvest time at his vineyard, and so at, at um, about 6 a.m. he hires some day laborers. We can piece together um, from some details in the parable, as well as we know uh, what we know about the culture of that time and the practices, that it's probably around 6 a.m. And, and the landowner hires them for a day's wage. They're going to work 12 hours, by the way, until 6 p.m. in the blazing Middle Eastern sun for what today maybe would be, it's hard to say exactly, maybe $50 to $100 or maybe less. Well, they agree to this wage. This is what they work for every day if they can get work and they're happy just to have work. So off they go to work in this vineyard. Three hours later, 9 a.m., the owner comes back to town. And there are more workers standing around, so he hires more. He does this again at noon, and he does it at 3 p.m. And each time, he hires more laborers. And each time, these other times, he says he'll pay them what's fair, which we expect would be less than a day's wage, right? Because they're not working for the whole day. Now you have to wonder by noon or by 3 p.m. Why are these guys still standing around all day not working? Uh, will nobody else hire them? Is it because they're known not to be very reliable workers? Or is it that they really don't want to work? They'd rather stand around and chew the fat with others from the town. Or is it just that they do want to work but, but no one has offered them work for that day? We, we really don't know. Well at 5 p.m. the landowner is back one last time and again he finds some workers and he asks the question we all want to know the answer to why have you been standing around all day not working? And they either honestly or maybe as a lame excuse say nobody's hired us. So he says regardless I'll hire you go work in my vineyard. That's 5 p.m. They go to work in the vineyard. An hour later... At 6 p.m., it's quitting time, and all the workers knock off work, and they line up to receive their pay for the day, and what does the owner give the guys who started just one hour before? He gives them a full day's wage. Wow. The, The guys... Then who started at 3 p.m. They work three hours, they get the same, a full stage wage, and no doubt they are excited, they're they're joyful, and there's probably a murmur as all the workers are figuring out what's happening. And now you're the guy at the back of the line, right? You hear the murmur, you hear what's going on you worked 12 hours you broke your back all day in the sun picking grapes or whatever he had you doing you did most of the work and you hear that the people who showed up an hour ago three hours ago got paid a whole day's wage and you're doing the math right in your head Wow, this owner is really paying well today. They worked one hour, three hours, and they got a whole day's pay. I worked 12 hours, uh, maybe 12 times, four times more than them. What am I going to get? This should be a good haul. And and so you finally get to the front, and, and you get your payment, and you get a day's wage, just like everybody else. Question. How do you feel? Are you angry? Are you disappointed? Are you jealous that some guy in front of you who worked one twelfth of what you did got the same pay as you? Or are you happy for that guy's good fortune? Happy that after he spent all day thinking he had no work that day, he now has enough money to be able to go home after all and feed his family i'll be honest for me given how i grew up how i was raised i my first reaction is i'm angry i'm envious and in telling this story jesus is messing with my heart here about that because what does jesus have the landowner say to the people who worked hard all day didn't i agree to pay you a day's wage for a day's work isn't that fair If I want to give extra to someone else, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious, given that I am generous? If you're like me, let that sink in. So what's Jesus' point in telling this story? It's about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom that he's come to bring the kingdom we're supposed to be seeking and entering into if we're following him if we're trusting him as our savior we're supposed to be learning to to live this way to to operate this way according to the ways of this kingdom and what jesus wants us to know is that his new kingdom operates according to a different kind of math stuff is counted differently the score is kept track of differently in god's kingdom question are you ready to learn to have jesus teach us a different kind of math some of you worked so hard to learn math and it was really hard and now you're like oh i have to learn a different kind of math don't worry this one's a lot easier at least intellectually maybe not in the heart Now, to help understand what Jesus is really getting at here, we we have to notice when Jesus tells this parable. He tells it in response to a conversation that he just had with a disciple named Peter and, and some of Jesus' other first followers. Because if you go back to chapter 19, a rich guy had come up to Jesus and had asked Jesus what he needed to do to have eternal life. And Jesus had told this rich guy... Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then follow me. And the guy heard this, the rich guy, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus let him walk away. And then Jesus remarked to his disciples how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. And this surprised Jesus' disciples because Jesus is setting the bar really high here. He's dishing out lots of challenge. Well, then Peter replies, well, we've left everything to follow you. We're the good guys. We've we've made the big sacrifices. What will there be for us? And Jesus reassures Peter with a promise. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And then Jesus tells the parable we read this morning. So do you see the context of our, our parable unlike the the rich man who walked away jesus is telling this to his first disciples who had left everything behind they had sacrificed a great deal to follow jesus they've worked or they were in the process of working all day in the vineyard so to speak and they're wondering what are we going to get what will our reward be for all the big sacrifices we've made for jesus and Jesus is like, "Don't worry I've got you covered. God's going to make it worthwhile for you. you'll be rewarded. in fact you'll receive a hundred times back for whatever you sacrificed for me and you'll get eternal life to boot." Now let me ask you, does, does this story this backstory in chapter 19 about Jesus asking the rich man to give up everything and Jesus promising those who have that they'll get far more in return? do you find that story? comforting or challenging are you like i find this so challenging because i sort of relate to the rich man it's hard to 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 give up and to sacrifice what i have for jesus i'm tempted to hold on to it to keep control of my own life and what i have or are you a little more like peter and the other disciples and you're like well i'm not perfect but but i've given a lot truth be told i've given a lot up for jesus I've sacrificed a lot. It's cost me a lot to follow Jesus. And, and, and so it's comforting to know that I'll, I'll get rewarded with a 100 times as much. Well, I'm guessing that maybe there's more of us in the first camp than in the second, but for those who are in the second, even a little bit, who, who feel we've sacrificed for Jesus, there's a danger. And And... It, it is that um, if we've been fairly faithful and, and diligent and responsible, maybe we've done more work for this church than almost anyone else. The, the danger is that we'll be like the people who went to the vineyard first. Promptly at 6 a.m., and we put in a full day's work all day, working hard in the sun by the sweat of our brow. And now and, and Jesus promises a reward in the end, but here's what Jesus is warning us about. Listen to this. Even though Jesus turned away the rich man when, when he wouldn't sacrifice everything for Jesus, there are going to be a lot of other people that Jesus will welcome and bless who we think don't deserve it. Because God is in the business of being generous to lots of people who deserve it a lot less than we think they do. Maybe they were idle all day, standing around, not doing much. Maybe they just show up to God's kingdom at the 11th hour and put in a measly hour's work. Nevertheless, God may, in God's generosity, treat them just like us. (laughs) Who have sacrificed so much. How does that make you feel? Are you happy for them? Or are you envious because they got a much better deal and a much easier arrangement than you did? That's what Jesus is poking at in this parable. In a nutshell, Jesus is saying this. God rewards those who sacrifice for him. But he also blesses and welcomes some of those who do not. And we have no business being envious of them, because what God does is God's business. And God is good and generous. And if God wants to give people far more than they deserve, that's God's prerogative. And guess what? Jesus says, in God's kingdom, now that I have come, God is frequently going to be giving out to undeserving people heaps of grace, heaps of undeserved blessing. God's frequently going to be having compassion on people, not because they deserve it, but just because God's compassionate. God's going to be giving them far better than they deserve and maybe far better than what he's giving you. So, how do you feel about that? In this parable, Jesus is saying the old math, the old keeping score, the old approach of of comparing and making sure everything's fair, it doesn't work in my kingdom. Now that I've come, you can't use that kind of math anymore. This reminds me of um, the Marvel movie Doctor Strange strange maybe you've seen the movie is a very smart successful surgeon but he gets a debilitating injury that is beyond his own ability to cure and so in desperation he goes off to a guru in the east i think it's in nepal who's he's heard might be able to help him and and this guru has learned to tap into much more reality than the physical scientific reality that strange knows and in typical Marvel fashion, we're not sure if this is the spiritual realm or if it's just some other dimension of the multiverse that's different from ours. But, but in these other realms, there's immense power and there are amazing possibilities. And Strange is trying to understand this with his scientific mind. And the guru is like, you've got to expand your mind. There's so much more than, than you have any idea about. And that's, in a way, what Jesus is trying to help us do in today's parable. He's teaching us about the kingdom of heaven, which is so much more than, than this world that we've known. And, and kind of like Dr. Strange had to learn on his journey into other realms, that, that the math we've learned here in this world, it doesn't work in God's kingdom why because the the kingdom of god that jesus came to bring is all about god a god who is generous a god who is caring and god does not give anyone less than he's promised them or less than they deserve but he reserves the right to give some people far more than they deserve just because god wants to And if you're going to live in the kingdom of God and thrive in the kingdom of God, and by the way, that's what church is about. Do you realize that? We're supposed to be an outpost, a living demonstration in this world of this different kingdom. And so if we're going to reflect this kingdom, if people are going to be able to come here, or as we go out and we meet them and they get to know us out there, If they're going to be able to taste and experience God's kingdom, then we've got to learn and accept that the God we serve and worship is like that generous landowner. Do you realize how generous God is? Let's think about it. Earth is a planet that's amazingly furnished with all the qualities it takes to support human life. The atmosphere, oxygen, abundant water, Soil. Physicians, uh, uh, physicists, rather, tell us that all the constants in the universe in which we find ourselves are finely tuned just exactly to be the way we need them to be for us to be here. And as a result, the earth is relatively stable and a relatively safe environment, and it produces abundant vegetation and abundant food, and it's filled with immense beauty from the Grand Canyon down to the most delicate wildflower. All created and given by God for us to enjoy. Despite the fact that if you read the Old Testament, we've done nothing as humans but repeatedly rebel and turn our backs on God. And yet God is like, despite that, I'm going to keep taking care of them. I'm still going to provide for them. I'm still going to bless them with many things to enjoy. Because God is generous. And what's about to happen if you keep reading the story of Matthew that we're in? Well, in verse 17, Jesus is going to tell his disciples that he's about to go up to Jerusalem to be arrested and convicted and tortured and cruelly executed. Why? Why? Because on top of all of his other generosity God has come down at Jesus To pay the price for humanity's sins For our failures, for our rebellion For our ingratitude So that we can be reconciled to God So God can bless us even more So we can continue to enjoy even more Of all that God has given us Because God is generous Wildly generous Has that truth rocked your world and changed your reality? When we were getting ready to move, Ann and I sold a bunch of stuff that we didn't need anymore on eBay and on Facebook Marketplace. Partly because we didn't want to throw it out and partly to try to get a little money for it. And um, so we'd sell a book here or a, a backpacking stove there. And after shipping and selling fees, we'd make $5 or $10 per item or some more on some of the bigger items. And so altogether, we made several hundred dollars. It was a lot of work, though, and there was a lot of careful math of of what to price things uh, to make sure we didn't lose money, especially on eBay, where we had to pay shipping. But but then, get this, there are some really generous people in our former church, and they took up a collection as a goodbye gift for us, and a few people handed us checks, and guess what? What they gave us blew out of the water the little of bit of money we had made selling stuff. We had worked so hard selling stuff for a little bit, and then people were just so generous and handed us money. And it's like, why did we even bother selling all that stuff? <laughs> the little we worked so hard for doesn't even compare to what we got for free as a gift. Do you realize in the kingdom of heaven, it's always that way? Because we serve a God who is so generous. And Jesus desperately wants us to know that God and and wants us to know what that God is like. And Jesus is like, so in my kingdom, because of the way God is, your attitude has to change. <laughs> the math is different now because God is so generous. Like I said, I grew up in a, a family and in a, in a Pennsylvania town that placed a high value on being responsible and working hard and looking out for yourself and, and taking care of yourself. And that's all really good. Those are great values that were instilled in me and I'm really grateful for them except when it makes me stingy And miserly toward other people. When it makes me or us envious or upset when other people get good stuff without being responsible or without working as hard to get it as we did. And that's how I was. I I was envious and stingy until I started to understand God's grace and God's generous heart and God's bountiful character and God's incredible compassion. How much God has given me and how much God has given all of us that I and we didn't deserve, don't deserve. And then I, once I understood the gospel, I had to drop the scorekeeping. And I had to unlearn the math that I'd learned and realize that we serve an immensely generous God. And God reserves the right to heap blessing on anyone he wants, whether they deserve it or not. And coming to grips with that, coming to grips with the gospel, it's changed my heart. It's made me more compassionate. It's made me more generous. It's made me happier. Because now seeing someone else get something good doesn't bug me anymore. <laughs> I can actually be happy for them, which means I'm freer. So how do we apply this parable? Well, let me ask you, is there a situation in your life where you've been doing the old math, you've been keeping score? Maybe you're envious or resentful towards someone. Maybe they're they're getting far better than they deserve, they're getting better than you. Or maybe, maybe they're not, maybe they're getting exactly what they deserve and it feels good, you're secretly happy that they're getting what they deserve. This could have to do with money Or it could have to do with recognition at work or at school Someone who gets more recognition than they deserve Or maybe for you it's about a relationship Let me just give you a quick example from, um, from marriage Maybe you're married and you feel like Lately you've been giving more than 50% um, To make the marriage work To manage the house or the kids And you're feeling resentful now, I'm not talking about a situation where there's been abuse or, or you're being neglected or um, you're married to a deadbeat. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about an otherwise normal marriage, but, but lately you've been doing more of the work and you've been putting in more of the effort, and it's making you feel mad that your spouse is getting all the benefits of the marriage and not pulling their weight. And you've been keeping score. So whatever your situation, whether you relate to the guys in the vineyard who worked all day in the blazing sun and, and God goes and is generous to those who did far less, if, if that's your situation, w- would you be willing to ask God to wash those envious and resentful feelings away in the flood of his abundant generosity and his abundant grace? Grace for you, grace for them. Because Jesus wants us to realize that he's inviting us into a kingdom where the math is different. Where God's generous goodness is what has the last word. And if you've been checking out Jesus and and wondering if you want to give your life and put your trust in him, this could be the day. You could be like the guy who at the 11th hour, Jesus says, come work for me. Come be with me, not because you deserve it, but because God, my Father, and I are generous. And we'll take you now, just as you are, and bless you way beyond what you deserve. Let's pray. God, as we prepare to respond... We've looked at this parable that Jesus has told, and it's a parable that really pokes at us and cuts deep at a lot of what's in our hearts, a lot of what's in my heart. I pray that you'd open our eyes to see and to embrace how generous you are. Amen.